If you're affected by anything you hear on this podcast or you just want to talk, please reach out to someone for help and support. You can also get in touch with Man Blues via manblues at gmx.com. We also have a presence on Twitter or X, as well as on Instagram and Mastodon. We're not qualified to help, but we can listen. Please don't suffer in silence. I'm Leon Deggs, and I have Man Blues. This week, our special guest is Sarah, who is a mental health professional. A little bit of background about Sarah. She works in a local hospital and is a counsellor and counsels adults and teenagers, males and females. So she's got a very wide spectrum of people she's been introduced to and she has a range of tools at her disposal to allow her to unlock the secrets of your mind. But thank you so much for even coming on and um, volunteering to come and speak to me about it. I'm a man in my 50s and I've got a bit of an issue talking about emotions and things like that as a result of my my upbringing and where I've come from. But there are people my age who are much more open about it. And when my son was born, there was a definite sort of mental shift in my mind as to how I wanted Mm. to discuss things like that. Um, Because I realised it's just not healthy to, to bottle things up and not talk about them. Um, and it yeah. sort of spiraled and sort of started this whole thought process on my side that, you know, it is really healthy to talk about things like that. Um, so I started doing a bit of research and looking into men's mental health and it seems sadly lacking. It's almost like, I don't know, that mentality of, oh, men can just get on with it, but women need support. Yeah. just seems to be a thing. And I don't know if, if you've experienced that in your work or not. I mean, definitely. Um you know, caseload-wise, working in the community is predominantly women that are on my caseload. Right. Um, I do have, you know, it's probably a third is males and men with lots of different things going on. I think because we have lots of subcategories within my team, so like psychiatry and ADHD, and they tend to come for the one-to-one support um, whilst they're waiting or because it's recognised that maybe they need a little bit more and, and to have that talking space. I think there's been a shift as well, you know, online, on like TikTok and the culture of men. Um, I'm, you know, like in Blackpool, there's um, a lot of things going on around new dads. Oh, okay. Which has been helpful. And that's advertised on the the women and baby, you know, units. You know, people going for the scans just to kind of make people aware of what's on offer afterwards, which I think is really helpful. So, just to drill into the new dads thing, what what's what's yeah. that all about? Is that sort of like giving dad giving new fathers support in how to like cope with babies and things? Or I think so, and I think you know, from a well being perspective as well. Right. It's a, it's a big change. And yeah, it's massive. It's the biggest change anybody has in their life, I would argue, because yeah. I, I think the old cliche, I mean, cliches are there because they, they're steeped in truth. But when my son was born, there was an element of, oh my God, my life will never be the same again. Definitely. And, and, and you know, there's that kind of factors of the expectations, isn't there? Like running the home, looking after, you know, your partner that's just had a baby and taking on them, you know, the, that wave of emotions you've got to take on for the, yeah. for the mother and, and, you know, if there's lack of sleep and all these things, you know, there's no handbook. There's all these books for pregnancy and after birth, you know, more specific to women. But then at the same time, 
you, you just kind of learn on the job, don't you? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's an expectation, I think, on the side of the men that yeah. let's not be awful about it. I and mean, I, I don't kind of want to mm. drill, you know, dwell on it in that way. But there is that yeah. element of the woman has gone through an awful lot more, so just yeah. shut up and deal. And, you know, it's, I mean, the old joke is that everyone goes around patting the woman on the belly and congratulating her on the work that she's doing yeah. for the pregnancy. And everyone forgets that there was a man involved. Yeah. But, I mean, I've, I've talked about it on a couple of the podcast episodes, some of the um, really dark thoughts that I had during my wife's mm. pregnancy that I couldn't vocalise with her in any way because she was already yeah. worried enough about what she was going through. Yeah, if definitely. I'd have given her what I was worrying about as well, it would have been awful for her. And we've spoken about it. I think we talked about it about five years ago. And my son's nearly 20. So it took me 15 years to even talk to her about what I was having problems with during the pregnancy. And when I said to her what I was thinking about and all the dark stuff, and she's like, why didn't you say anything? I was like, you know why? Because of where you were yeah. at the time. There's not a chance yeah. I could have spoken to you about it. And... You know, as I say, I'm old enough that some of my friends would necessarily have... They'd have been supportive if I'd have spoken to them about the sort of issues. But as men tend to do, there's an element of jokiness that comes along with stuff. And they may have added yeah. to it by saying, oh, you're only worried about that. Have you not thought about this as well? You know, and then you yeah. think, oh, I don't need more. I've got enough problems. Um, yeah. That sort of thing always yields change. And change is always excellent because it means that you can at least get the support networks in place for everyone. Yes. It's the acceptance that everyone suffers. I think definitely like post-COVID as well. Mm. You know, I like work from I mean I had my daughter through COVID and then had maternity and you had a COVID about, baby that's so cool I did I did <laughs> I did um and you know like my partner works in on the mental health hospital side so he's inpatient so we had to still go to work and right. um you know a lot of things have come from that I think for staff and for you know clients and patients mm. you know we've if anything it's it's been good in a way because things have been opened up I think and right. yeah but then at the same time obviously not um so there is a lot going on and but at the same time we are catching up too with everything and making sure you know people are getting the right treatments I think my caseload which is men um, is heavily orientated around like comorbidities with physical health right and I've noticed that quite a lot you know with with people that I'm working with more recently um it's always ongoing and you know elements of depression with that and that mm. seems to be quite a predominant theme I think you know coming through to to our service we're not a physical health service but but it starts I, I assume it starts probably the, the men begin talking about problems once they yeah. get a physical issue I suppose and then as yes, soon as you start exactly. asking them about you know why can't you go running anymore oh because of my knackered knee and of course that then means I'm struggling to sleep and then I'm horrible with my wife and I'm yes. crabby with my kids and so on and I suppose that's when the floodgates open I would imagine yeah and, and I think it, it's almost a way in it's like people could be having I've got a reason to problems. speak to you now yeah so please yes. speak to me about all these other things as well while I'm here exactly and then all the you know that the floodgates open and trauma comes out which is absolutely fine it's mm. it's enabling them to feel comfortable with somebody because I think when you have a physical illness you can be characterized by and understood maybe a little bit better by people right. I don't feel that way I can kind of see people across the board but you know it's like um if somebody to, were to have like a stroke or to have um COPD and, and and you know you can say this is what it is and then actually it's linking to these other things for me but whereas if you had like depression on its own you know for different reasons it might be a little bit more difficult to open them conversations up yeah um 
So I found that at times. Um, Do you find that the men, even though they're opening up, are perhaps initially mm. dismissive about their problems as well? As in, they're kind of like, I might have depression, but I'm not sure, and maybe that's, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll, we can, you know, because I, I sometimes wonder if if that's also kind of one of the bigger aspects to, to men just talking mm. about their mental health is that they don't know how to articulate what they're trying to say. Yeah, sometimes, and I think as well, um, it can be like a generational thing, mm. um, an avoidance thing, just to kind of carry on. All right. Um, and, you know, sometimes that can be helpful for people because they don't have to think about it, but then it creeps up over time and then they become more unwell. Yeah. Um, and, and have to talk about it or they want to talk about it to get some help there's lots of different themes going on and addiction plays a part as well okay. you know when we're thinking about pain mm. um, and, and issues people have like treat depression and then you've got a mix of ADHD thrown in there as well at times things like that um, and all these different symptoms so as, as, as much as there's a common theme everybody's very different Yeah. and you know hopefully barriers are kind of coming down a little bit for men to be able to have them conversations and for it to be normalised you know you'd go to the doctors if you weren't managing diabetes well and then they always say the brain is another organ Mm -hmm. and I like to think about it like that you know you know it stores the mind and it's, it's just an organ and it maybe isn't working properly at times and that's actually a really yeah i think that's a really good analogy because the the whole um this is a massive tangent by the way and if i do plenty of these during okay. the course of our conversation i do apologize but this is the way my brain works is that people talk about you know you, you just mentioned there that the brain is an organ they talk about you know when you do like physical fitness you're working on a particular muscle to help that muscle grow and strengthen and in the case yeah. of something like a sudoku that's like training for the brain which gives you the impression that, well, if you're doing a Sudoku to keep your brain active, then also you should be treating it as though it's it could have a physical ailment, like you've got a pulled muscle. So, you know, yeah. in, that, in that sort of same scenario where you're suggesting it's an organ, it's kind of that, that ticks an interesting box for me because I think it does tap into the whole aspect of you do need to treat it with this same mindfulness as you would treat your dicky knee. Yes, exactly. And, you know, if that's out of sync, everything else is going to be anyway. So it yeah. needs to be, you know, the primary focus and the brain can change over time and, and circumstances can change. And it's about being supported to adapt to them things within your life and, mm. and to have that. Sometimes you need somebody else to do that for you. Right. Or to kind of, I always like to say, it's not somebody talking with you. It's somebody sat next to you in the chair just to, you know, help you move along and I think for me I mean my background's person-centered and and I'm a mental health practitioner but I like to kind of just have that reflective time Mm -hmm. just for somebody to speak and to think without having to analyze too much of what's going on too and I found that helpful just to kind of be present Right. Whereas I think this this idea of things being quite prescriptive at times with, you know, men and, and sorting things out and and maybe, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but just being goal focused, which is good, but I, I find that that's more helpful to come later on. And it's just to kind of feel comfortable talking and normalising it initially, I find quite helpful too. Yeah. But I don't think, you know, in like jobs and stuff like that and environments that men are used to that and sometimes that can 
you know, be really helpful. I think it's interesting because one of the questions I was going to ask based on what you were talking about just before is when you meet that man for the first time who's coming with, mm-hmm. let's say he's coming with his physical ailment and you're kind of like, oh yeah, we've got to go through this. Have you got like a specific sort of tool set that allows you to kind of prise open his mind and get into what's actually bothering him? So we have like um, a general hair planning thing that we do in like our first one-to-one because it is mental health based as well it's you know it's a treatment service um but i like to and i find that asking questions especially for men is helpful in that initial appointment so i might do a little bit of goal focusing things i might ask them what their expectations are if any um how they're feeling about coming to talk to somebody I think that's always a good one because yeah. um, some people might say, look, I'm really anxious about coming here today. And sometimes, you know, I, I'll, I'll openly admit I'm anxious about meeting somebody for the first time too. Yeah. And I, I just tend to go with it. There's, there's some people, men and women, that will just think I can't work with this person from their mm. perspective. And I always say, you know, if you're not feeling comfortable with me or the work that we're doing, we can look at something else or we can look at some support with somebody else. So I think it's all about giving them options. And I think that's what I try to do. But, you know, there is kind of like a a, a script of questions, but at the same time, it's just having that ability to provide warmth, I think, within that. And it's hard at times. I can imagine. Because there must be times when you're you're reading from the script or you're taking these these sort of Mm. prompts from the script and you're just thinking none of this is working with this person and you've got to be quite reactive as well. Yeah. You've got to kind of read the body language, you know, and all the closed body posture, open body posture. You've got to keep an eye on that and darting eyes and all the other bits and pieces that people tell you to watch out for. I think... um, people think that just doing like kind of standard counselling and or that kind of person-centred approach is a lot easier but it's a lot harder Mm. it's a lot harder to have them silences and not be too directive because you have to read into all these things um and it can feel uncomfortable for both parties at times but I guess it's just kind of going with it and I found that I've had people that have been very shut off and even just sat there for like three sessions not saying anything really yeah and I would have found that quite uncomfortable you know when I first started but and, and sometimes you have to be a bit immediate and say look I'm noticing that there's some silences between us you know how are you feeling about coming mm. you know is there anything that we can else we can look at and, and things like that or how's it been over the week things you know and it, it's it's just based on the individual really I think I, I should imagine some of it's sort of like a distraction technique as well to get people talking because you mentioned silences yeah. and I've, I've mm. you, you're probably picking up on it you know it's the first time we've met but um, you're probably mm-hmm. realising that I personally don't like silence I like to have that mm. silence filled now I've done kind of personality tests and all sorts of things over mm. the years um, and it turns out I'm predominantly introverted but I, I did that mm-hmm. I forget what the name of the test was called um, but the one where you do it when you when you sat at work and one when you sat at home and it turns out I've got two different personalities right but the point with it was is that the reason I sort of I kind of rationalised it that I was more extroverted mm. at work because you have to speak up otherwise you don't get heard and you just get dumped on so that was my yes. rationale behind that but then it kind of when I realised I was actually quietly more introverted when I was telling all my friends and people who've known me for 20, 30 years, they were like, no, you're not. You're definitely not introverted. Mm. You're an extrovert. And I was like, well, yeah, but that's, I think, I'm starting to understand. It's just a defense mechanism. And hence, if I'm sat in a meeting with you or any mm. mental health professional and then there's a the silence, I will feel nervous enough to fill it with nonsense. 
Um, and, and, and I was thinking that would be probably quite tricky for you as well because it could be one of those things where you've got a talker who's talking mm. around it and not actually about it and sort of like, yeah, 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 don't worry, we'll get to that. And so it, that, that must be tricky to unlock as well. Definitely. And I tend to come across that in the first two or three sessions um, with somebody that's new to it maybe or just kind of feels like that. And then I do actually mention it at times. If I feel like it's appropriate and it's going to be more helpful, I might say, look, you've come and, and, and they, they tend to like leave doorknobs at the end of the session so somebody will do all this that you're talking about where you're filling these silences and then if we've got five minutes left they'll say something really quite powerful yeah. and I'll think I said okay well, well you know and when they come back in next time and they start again and I'm just saying you know I know these thoughts are important to you but you mentioned this last time and I've been thinking about it and I'm wondering where you want to go with it so it's just being aware of that you know some practitioners and therapists would just allow somebody to talk for like eight sessions and but i i like to kind of pick at it a bit mm. so is the is the work is it rewarding then because i was going to say what what it sounds like you're describing is not so much mental health professional but mm. you're like a clinical psychiatrist in a way oh i wouldn't how would it go that far? well i mean you, <laughs> you're referring to sessions you're talking about how you're having yeah. to i mean essentially if if we were to close our eyes and you were to explain mm. what you did there's every chance that we're going to have the image in our head of the of me being the one lying on the couch and you being the one sat mm. in the chair with a notepad in front of you, analysing what I'm saying. And it, it's kind of coming across like that, but I, I suspect you probably don't have a couch and you don't have that scenario. I mean, <laughs> but does it feel like it's close to psychiatry or...? I think for me, so we're, we're a team and we all share the same role. So we do um, like mental health practitioner work and we do one-to-one sessions mm-hmm. and it's heavily skills focused just to kind of support people, you know, like prior to psychology or just to give them some skills to manage anxiety and depression and maybe some harm reduction as well. But the majority of the team are nurses, but I'm my background is in counselling. Ah, okay. We also have social workers as well. So we, we all work differently with the same agenda of supporting the you know the patient or I tend to call them clients but they are patients in our field so I tend to stick to the you know the structure of care that we all do but I dip into different things which you know can be really helpful at times especially when working with certain client groups I might say oh I'll pick that person up just because I've got I've got a bit of this and I've got a bit of that and you know it might be helpful Mm. and then there'll be other people I think oh no they're too mental health led for me they probably need more of a nursing kind of care right on a caseload and we work really well off each other we, we bounce about a lot and sometimes there'll be different cases that are suitable for other practitioners and I guess I've been grateful to get a chance to work as a counsellor within a nursing role and yeah. and have my skills utilised I mean I'm trained in person-centered um dbt so i do a lot around like personality disorder okay which is what the majority of the team do all right it's funny you were saying about them tests that you did yes um online and it kind of reminded me of a module that we look at and it's about communication styles right so people tend to have two loud and quiet i imagine (laughs) (laughs) well ideally you want to um, and we can like, they can be interchangeable with where mm. we need them to and that doesn't mean we're putting on an act it means that we have to adapt for you know situations and that, I think that's perfectly reasonable yeah. you know at times but you have like assertive which you ideally need to be in passive passive aggressive and aggressive oh yeah yeah and it's just working around skills with that and people recognising why they do things with certain people. So that's quite interesting. Right, okay. And I've been using a lot of compassion work with men. 
um, with depression I found that's really helpful so asking them what compassion means to them and others and how they kind of use it or how they can use it so that's been really good with my male patients so yeah I just do a bit of everything really I'm a bit of um I hop about and I do different things and I like learning I think I'm a bit of a nerd as well (laughs) so you know I I get an interest and then it changes so I like I really I like that's, working with that's, certain that's things. That's not nerdy, that's just passionate. There's a difference between nerdiness <laughs> yeah, I guess and so. passion. But I was going to say, um, interestingly, I suppose it may, it may be interesting or not, do you have any kind of statistics on sort of, I, I would imagine the answer to this is no before I've even asked the question, which is unfair mm-hmm. on you. But do you have any statistics okay. on whether or not you have, um, you, you're able to unlock, quote unquote, the women quicker than you're able to unlock the men? Because I imagine some women are equally as guarded as some men and some men are equally as lucid and as as open as some women because, you know, we are human beings and we're all incredibly different. But there must be that point where you sort of think, there's definitely a nut to crack here, just Mm. need to find a way in. And like I said, my suspicion is it probably takes men longer to open up. Definitely, and to build that trust. I mean, I don't have any direct statistics, I can only go off experience, but, you know, there's a lot of different things that come for men like shame, guilt, social structures um, and, and their archetypes in, in society and, and, you know, what's expected of them. Oh, wow. Like we talked about before. And, yeah, yeah. and then it, you can get the other extremes where, you know, men can just say anything and, and be very open. And it's, I think we have quite a wide variety of mental health difficulties in my team too. So it's different presentations as well and in different kind of care that people need. So it, I, I would say it was definitely predominantly, you know, women that are coming through quicker. I mean, my colleague tends to pick up males because that's her experience. She's worked in different services. I tend to pick up more females because I've worked with more females, but then I'm trying to have more males on my um, caseload just to kind of make it a bit more varied. And so I'm supporting all different people. So okay. I feel like I've completely gone off tangent with the question. But That's all right. No, because I was going <laughs> to ask a, a kind of a related, but it, it's probably going to mm. sound awful. Do you suspect that the men may take longer to open up to a woman or do you think that doesn't matter? Do you think it's just maybe men just take longer to open up full stop? It doesn't matter to whom they're talking. I actually think men find it difficult to open up to other men. Really? Yeah, in my experience. I've spoken about it recently anyway, where I was Mm. talking about the fact that I think men having only male friends or having large groups of male friends isn't necessarily a good idea. I think other men can Mm. be poison for men. Mm. Just by virtue of the fact that the minute... I've got various circles of friends and I I know that sounds, you know, um, like I'm... boasting and bragging but you, you know you'll have you'll have you'll have pockets of friends but you'll have yes, lots of, of course, them yeah. so you'll have the people you meet at work the people you met when you were out doing your hobby your people you've known since you were 12 you have all these different groups of people and you get different things from each group but i know for a fact that there'll be a certain group of friends i could never open up to because they've known me for so long they know all the weaknesses and they know all the bad mm. things about me so the minute i start saying oh i don't feel very comfortable with this you just get absolutely ripped to pieces because that's what they do that's their version of support for you is to is mm. to know the absolute worst about you and bring it out and mention it and point it out possibly that you look at it and you think well actually this thing that I'm worried about isn't that bad because they've just reminded me of the thing I did when I was 18 I, I kind of see where you're coming from really because a bit of an aside but when I've spoken to male GPs I've had mm-hmm. more difficulty talking to them than I have to a female GP and I think that's just okay. because I think there's an empathy 
that women yes. can can show. So maybe a man feels a bit more cold and more aloof. Plus, men will solve problems. If you talk to a man mm. and say, I'm struggling with this, he will tell you how to solve the problem. Whereas a woman will just be like, yeah, no, that does sound bad. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And I think like when you say, oh, like the people that know you and, and kind of compare you to other times in your life. Mm. And sometimes it can be helpful for people to say, well, yeah, no, it could be worse. Yeah. Or it could have been like this. But then I think, yeah, but it could be better. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite dismissive, that, isn't it? To say it could be worse. It's always Definitely. dismissive of the current problem. I think as well, when you start to go on like a journey to, to feel better or to kind of look at things differently, people are used to you being a certain character or yes. playing a certain role. So mm. it's almost like you, you're being unreasonable by putting boundaries in place or yeah. having a difference of opinion. And, and unfortunately, sometimes if then people can't adapt to that, you've outgrown them. And that doesn't mean that I want you to dump all your friends. No, no, but... exactly. And it's, it's the thing where it might be that they also, they don't expect you to play that different character because they're not used to it and no. they don't know how to handle it exactly and, and and you know a lot of the time people don't understand how to manage mental health mm. and I think I think back to when I was working on the wards and, and family members were like oh you, you know and I thought that I was giving people cups of tea and just chatting to them and I'm like no I'm in the thick of it these people are really unwell mm. and it's things that you couldn't imagine but you know I can't talk to you about it because maybe you're not the right person and, yeah. and you know you it's okay to have people for different purposes. I know that sounds like you use them, but it, you know, you need to pick and choose to protect yourself. Yeah, as well, you, I think. you get different things from different people. Yeah. I mean, if I if I want to go out and have a nice time and I want to have a bit of a laugh and just forget my life and forget my woes, I will mm. pick those guys I've known since I was eighteen. Yes. Whereas if I want to have a bit more of a meaningful chat, but here's the other thing: there's, there's chaps that I, I kind of um, I've got these regular meetings that I have them. This isn't turning into a counselling session, by the way, Sarah. No, it's but, fine. Don't um, worry. <laughs> I've got these other chaps that I hang out with each week, and we we do this online thing. But I know for a fact that when we're all together, all four of us, five of us in the call, it's lads being lads and having a chat and a laugh yes. and a joke and poking fun about the fact that the guy, you know, he's under the thumb by his wife, etc., etc. All the classic cliches. However, at the end of the night, when people start dipping off because it's kind of, oh, I've got to go, blah, 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 bedtime. When there's like just one or two people left, like usually me and one of the other chaps, that's when he'll start telling me about the things he's going through, the things he's struggling with, the things he's, you know, yes. having issue with. And I just think it's interesting you didn't bring this up before when there were more people to give you support. But then there's yes. that element of, well, I know that he's going to take the mickey out of this because he doesn't get me. And you think, yeah, I sort of, yeah. Maybe it's one of these things where for men to open up to men, they require an awful lot more time. Like you say, building a yes. trust, but it takes a lot longer to build the trust. Yeah, I, I found that, you know, typically like within services, you have a criteria of how many sessions or whatever appointments. Mm -hmm. And I found that really hard because I find that I get to, and I always have to end up asking for extensions. Really? Yeah, and they're fine with it, you know, you know, the very kind of person-centered where I work I'm, I'm lucky to have that mm -hmm. well I suppose also the people you're having the sessions with are lucky to have that as well because if it was just like session eight and that was it you, you finished and you're kind of well, well we're not even there yet we haven't even started yeah it's begun wow. <laughs> at the end and, yeah. you know it's took that time for for people to build you know that trust and, yeah. and to feel comfortable with that person and especially people that have had bad experiences with services or even mm. with people I mean, I used to work with adolescents before I, you know, went back to kind of age, older age patients. And I do try to pick up younger people where I can because I like the client group. Yeah. But, and I had quite a lot of male like adolescents on my caseload, probably more than, than women, actually, or girls, should I say. And 
that was very interesting and it, it kind of shaped my work with men mm-hmm. and, and having given people you know these people have been in the care system and it had been you know like really awful trauma yeah but and that's another factor it's the trauma it's the trauma that people experience and, and what they can do with it and, and men you know especially with like sexual abuse and things like that yeah that's a very difficult topic for men to discuss because yeah, there's so yeah. many different themes around it and it's funny like people that come in like i said early coming for different things it comes up quite a lot yeah and, and that kind of abuse and trauma and them different things and then that's when the kind of work starts because yeah. as you know they might have something wrong with the with an arm or the back or something but actually they could cope with that if they didn't have all the pre-existing things to think about too that's true yeah so that's that's interesting you know that unravels well i was just thinking um back in the day as you know as a much younger man i did uh, i studied criminology as, a, as part mm. of my a levels and one of the subjects that we talked about was about um you know sexual assault mm. and what was interesting was at the time the statistic is probably still true, but the statistic was uh, that uh, male rape is a lot less reported than female rape. Mm. Now, mm-hmm. this the, the, at the time, the kind of discussion was mostly because um, the men will just be too ashamed to go and admit that this has happened. Mm. And you're sort of like, well, yeah, I can sort of see why, because the minute a man starts saying another man or another, I mean, because there's also women can rape men as well. This, the yeah, other side yeah, of, of course. But yes. you know, it can, the, the abuse can come from anyone. But the point is that the minute yeah. you start speaking to someone and saying, look, someone was stronger than me, overpowered me and did this to me. As a man, mm-hmm. you'll sit there and just, you'll just know that the person on the other side is not believing you at all. Especially if you're mm-hmm. kind of a, you know, a bigger chap or whatever. It's like, how did somebody overpower you? Well, knives are quite scary. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's all it takes is for somebody to have a more threatening, intimidating thing. And there's certain aspects to male behaviour that this is a personal story, and it, it is, it, mm. as I say, this is not going to be a session between the two of us. I'm happy if you want to call no, me back. Fine, but, don't worry. Um, there was a, I, I was involved in an altercation. There was a, a fight took place at, at the university when I was first starting there. Never been in a fight in my life, and my mouth had always mm. saved me from trouble. Couldn't talk my way out of it. Ended up getting kicked in the face. However, I sort of glossed over it and thought no it's fine this thing happened you just get over it and you move on but then years later um so as trauma does trauma loves to resurface um mm. god bless trauma for keep coming up and the hell <laughs> and i just literally broke down burst into tears yes. because i'd never dealt with the trauma at the time and this was 15 mm. years later and it's like you know how long has that been sat inside me is this kind of ball of pain before mm. it finally came out and not that I'm not by any stretch of any imagination am I now saying that I love going into fights now I will, I will knock anybody out and all that none of that at all but it was the fact that I had suppressed this pain this anguish for so long and I had no idea that it was there but then suddenly it took exactly a similar situation to bring it out in me again and for me to healthily talk about it and ever since then my wife and I, we, whenever we've got these kind of issues and, you know, the stuff that kind of makes me nervous because yeah. I think, oh, we talk about stuff. Because that's been the underlying theme for pretty much every episode I've done is just talk. Because it's, yes. it's weird how much it can actually help just to even vocalise something that you feel silly about. And I think that's kind of possibly one of the reasons why men might not even come forward to have mm. those sort of things discussed. I, I say, I found it really interesting that you've said it starts usually with them having a physical problem. Mm. You know, I'm only, I'm only here because I've got a bad back, but you know, the bad back, it's you know, it stops the loud voices in my head. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's, it's, you know, I always say 
it's them doorknob comments at the end of a session or even the end of a treatment mm. you think oh I wish I'd have known at the start or you know what what can I do with that well let's let's do something with it you've mentioned it and it's funny you talk about trauma as well mm. like I'd worked with like um, really bad trauma when I worked in inpatients and, and when I did counselling training and stuff and I didn't understand it and, and sometimes I actually felt like I could do more damage by trying to pick it because I wasn't trained yeah. within what I'm trained in now yeah. and it wasn't until I experienced a birth trauma with my daughter oh wow you know during Covid you know it could have been a lot worse but it's fine and we're both fine now yeah. that I understood how trauma works yeah. and how it wasn't just a case of having therapy or even not talking about it or, or whatever it was it, it changes you as a person and, and it, it can repair yeah. but it's always there you know like it's funny because I advocate massively for patients and, and clients, you know, to get the best health care. And I'm always firefighting with different teams and different services. And I'm like, even on the physical health side. Yeah. And I don't know if that's more of a trauma response because I had such a bad time. However, yeah. if it's me that needs, has to go into like medical care or even the hospital, I have a different response. And I'm like, I, I feel very vulnerable and it sets me back to that trauma. And I think, oh, actually, I just need to breathe for a minute and realise I'm not in it. That's the beauty of trauma. You get to relive it every single time. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it's so grounding. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if, if it's somebody else, you know, mm. I can I can do that. And and I've always been like that. I think I've always been a fixer and, and, and tried to help people. And yeah. that's probably some, some other deep-rooted issues from somewhere else but yeah. it's a funny one trauma I'm kind of glad I experienced it because I can have that I don't tend to self-disclose too much to, to no. clients and patients no, no, no. but I can have that empathy and sympathy sometimes and um, it's easier yeah it's interesting you say you don't self-disclose do you find that that can sometimes be a hindrance as well because you know nobody likes a one-sided conversation and if if for example if you mm. and I were to have a session and I'm opening up all the time not that I'm saying mm. I expect a quid pro quo <laughs> but there's an element of it's like well because I'm I mean I mean even during this little chat that we're having now mm. always acutely conscious of the fact that I kind of I tend to dominate conversations and again I think that's a, a defense mechanism really because if I'm keep talking you can't keep drilling but do you find mm. that sometimes if you've got that one-way flow that you might sort of feel somebody holding back because they're, they're not feeling they're getting anything out of it other than well, it's just me talking about old stuff and things that have been going on for years sometimes I mean I will self I'll only self-disclose um, I say I don't self-disclose but I probably do it every session um, <laughs> just to humour people a little bit but I, I just have to be aware I mean I'm a bit of a talker right. if I'm outside of sessions I'll probably talk a little bit too much mm -hmm. and it's great for podcasting by the way that's, that's yeah. perfect <laughs> and then it comes with a bit of imposter syndrome after oh, really? you know conversations have finished and but in sessions I will self-disclose if I think it's going to be helpful but then I also have to be aware of like transference and counter-transference yes. so it's yeah, say yeah. if something reminds me of something of myself and I think oh I need to I need to say something here because I've experienced it myself and actually mm. actually no I need to take that to my supervision yeah I mean I'm only a human being it's people say to me you know so much of these skills and you deliver it and you know I can't cope outside of the sessions and I wish I could cope like you and I say actually sometimes I can't cope on days yeah I will have a day where I have anxiety and it can't be managed by a solution mm. so it's good to be human too yeah but 
just, just to have that awareness and that's the difficult part yeah I mean a lot of it's just the whole you know, sort of reminding people that they're not alone isn't it because you, yeah you, I think the problem is sometimes when you when you're facing a problem or you're experiencing a problem or even if you've had a trauma there's that element mm. of you know uh, you, you feel very alone in that because you know specifically with this fight that I was involved in not to keep dwelling on that and dwelling on it is fine but not to keep dwelling on it yeah. the the thing with it is is that I looked at that and I thought that happened to me but there were there were two other people there at the time plus the three guys that did the attacking so there were six of us mm. there they all experienced mm. it we were all in the same place three of those people had a different agenda to the other three but I thought it was really interesting in terms of, mm. you know, like I said, there were six people there. But when I was compartmentalizing mm. it and trying to ascertain what it was that went on and trying to sort of deal with the aspects of it, there was an element I was just thinking, I wasn't alone. There were other people mm. there. So I could have spoken to any one of them about the issues that I had. And I just, you know, because these were guys that I just met at university and, you know, just starting out friendships with them. It, it wasn't the right forum for it and again those were people that I met when I was 18, 19 when you're 18, mm. 19 and you're finding your way in the world those people aren't particularly supportive because they're also finding their way in the world but yeah, I quite like the fact that my son isn't like that at all his, his mm. generation is very different I mean they were badly affected by COVID because he should have been doing his GCSEs when COVID started so yeah he got a free pass for his exams he didn't have to sit any exams great mm-hmm. um, but then two years pass and he's been trying to do his A-levels and he really struggled in the first year because home learning is really difficult when you're a teenager yeah. and can't get out of bed at 10 o'clock in the morning <laughs> and they're all massive social butterflies which you forget when you get older and you sort of move through your 20s and move through your 30s and even through your 40s you start realising that you don't need as much social interaction with others whereas when you're 18 that's all you live for and I think that's Definitely. that's kind of that's kind of key as well. But he's in a position where he can talk a lot more about what he's going through. And I've had to kind of be mature about the fact that he's allowed to have his own opinions because yes, he's my son, but I'm not in control of that anymore. And I haven't been in control mm. since he was about seven or eight. Ever since then, I've been sort of saying to my wife, you know, we can't teach him anymore. Now he has to learn. But you kind of. You know, it's that thing where you think, oh, please don't get in with those right-wing fascists. Please don't get involved yes. with these people who spout this nonsense. And it just becomes very difficult. And that's another thing where as a father and as a man, you're kind of expected to just deal with it and get on with it. But you think, I don't have the toolkit. I don't know what to mm. do. I definitely like can agree with that, you know, just like from a parent's side. Mm. I mean, me and my, my partner operate very differently as parents. It works out really well. All right. So I'm I'm very much introverted and he's very extroverted. Okay. You know, it's almost um, like we're on both sides of the spectrum a little bit. And um, our daughter's in the middle and she's learning from both of us. But I'm here thinking, right, I've got to have her that she's got to be in the right shoes for nursery. You know, <laughs> what if somebody, you know, she's only three. Yeah. Um, what what if a child thinks that she looks silly or something like that? You know, make sure you tell someone if you're being picked on. And I've had to pull it back because I think I'm going to set her up for worry too. Yes. Thinking about, you know, she's starting school in September. And I think a lot of it goes off my own experiences as well because I had a pretty crappy time at school, primary and secondary. And, you know, I'm definitely not in that place now as an adult, but you have to, you go off your own experiences as well, mm. don't yeah, you? Yeah, you know, yeah, like, not, like you said, not getting in with these bad crowds yeah. and and things like that. And But I guess it's just picking up some of the pieces when 
it might go wrong at times but yeah. you're exposed to so much more now aren't you online as well you know I remember MSN was only coming out when I was getting older and now everything is there and you're exposed to you know you don't just go to school or go to college you come home and it's there too yeah I mean this thing with online bullying when I first heard about mm. that I was thinking how the hell can you find out how, how can somebody be bullying you anonymously because yeah, I, yes. I couldn't couldn't understand the concept of it. I don't I don't see how that would even happen. But of course, it's a huge, huge thing. The more we live our lives in that technology, the easier it is for you to be exposed to all the wrong things. Yeah. And as I said, we just I don't think we've got the tools to cope with that just yet. I mean, no. You know, and, and I just remember thinking cause I was just thinking then when you were talking about um, you know, is your child going to get laughed at for the way she's dressed and all that sort of thing? Everybody knows, and I think it internationally accepted that women and girls are horrible to women and girls definitely they they are absolutely brutal we once and I, i tell this story again with pride at my school they decided one day to shut the boys up by having the boys play the girls at hockey and i still carry the injuries because they were brutal yeah. they were absolutely brutal but what was worse from that was I was chatting to we, we had a school reunion some years back and I was chatting to my sister let's go to reunion it should be fun but then immediately we were going oh but what if that person's there you know they bullied me at mm-hmm. school and what if that person's there I really hated them she named six or seven girls straight away without even blinking she said yeah but what if she's there she's there what happened to hers you know and I was like really you've got a problem with that girl and she, she was quite nice no she was awful she used to bully us in the changing rooms at PE and all this stuff I'm thinking god really women are just awful creatures <laughs> <laughs> definitely I can, I can definitely agree with that and I think you know there's so many women in healthcare as well and mm. it's weird like working people working in caring sectors as well they're so caring towards the people that are attending but then to each other mm. my god sometimes it can be really quite toxic and it's the fakery that does me in though it's that whole thing mm. about, oh your hair's lovely bitch what? <laughs> whereas a guy will say to you you look an idiot in that shirt why have you bought mm. that whereas a woman would say oh that shirt looks amazing and then turn around to the other friend and doesn't she look as stupid in that shirt you know it's like it's that level of fake support which you know yes. I mean the reason behind this podcast initially was the fact that there doesn't seem to be much support for men now I suppose a caveat I should give at this point is I don't actually have anything that I think I I mean you may be different you're the professional you might have heard a few things as I've been talking but I don't feel as though I need any of this mental health support but Mm. it was more of a concern that I don't think there is anything if I start looking I've reached out to a few male mental health professionals and Mm. I've had what I fear might be a truth which is as I've reached out to them, there's been that whole thing of, yeah, yeah, brilliant. I'd love to come on. I'd love to have a chat with you. I'd love to speak to you on the podcast. I'd love to talk about what we're doing and this, that, and the other. Two or three texts later, you stop getting replies. And I'm mm. sitting there thinking, this is really fortunate for me that I don't have issues with rejection. But equally, yes. there's the, the more important aspect of it is, why would you even engage in the first place if you've no possibility, never mind intention, but possibility to see it through? Because, yeah. you know, it's like, you're just leaving me hanging out in the wind here because you you know you've talked a big game you, you're part of this thing you're doing this thing as your day job and then this one chap said to me he said we might have a hundred thousand patients and we've got ten thousand male um, psychiatrists and consultants he said and that's mm. the problem you know it's, it's ten to one and well okay but even with ten to one that's somebody's workload for a week and he said yeah but we're still so stretched that we just yeah. can't you know we can't provide the support one of the statistics that I've mentioned on the podcast, which was another sort of driving reason behind me starting it, was 
I follow all these memes and jokes and things that my son has shown mm. over the years. And one of the things was it was um, a statistic that basically said women attempt suicide and men commit suicide, which mm. in and of itself is awful. But then underneath there was a beautiful little strap line that said, there you go, men smashing it out of the park over the women again. I was like, that's funny, yeah. but it points to a much deeper problem because a man will get to the point where there is no way back and sees no exit and sees no escape so that that's the mm. only route whereas a woman will think no I've probably got more options here I can do this and can do that and do the other however speaking as a man to a woman mm. would you turn to your female friends first if you were experiencing that sort of anguish or would you seek an audience with a female that's not a friend or a male Um, because you know what your friends are like probably a female friend but right. probably because I've got more female but one, friends but one, but one not a group of just one just one yeah mm. Yeah, same. I think I'd be the same. I have small circles, though. Right. I think. I, you know, I guess... I mean, my supervisor's female. I pay for my own clinical supervision as well, outside mm. of work. Um, and she's female. Right. But I think it's... Um, I don't know, maybe there's just more female counsellors as well right. and, and, and in the field, but... I, I honestly didn't expect that question would flubbing you that much. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I was just trying to think myself. You know, I think... I don't know if it's just a, a general thing or if it's me. I think that's what I'm trying to work out, whether right. it's just my circumstances. It's like my partner's male. He's got more f- female friends. Yeah. He gets on better with females. But that would be interesting to drill into, wouldn't it, as to, as to why mm. that would be? Because he's probably been one of the... I mean, you say he was an extrovert, but it's probably one of yes. those where maybe the other males have... Because extroversion is great, but then when other males see too much extroversion, they tend to back off. Because it's yes. like, well, that lion is very, you know, showing his mane and doing all the pride stance and all the rest of it. Whereas you, mm. you, you tend to then pull more into the background. And then mm. what was a circle of five friends has now just got your partner at the front and four guys at the back. Sometimes, but I think that's more arrogance. Like, I think he right. is just very open to people. He oh, likes okay. to be, rather than kind of like being the life and soul of the party. Maybe extroverted was the wrong word. Maybe more confident. Right. And... He just doesn't have an agenda, hmm. so he's, he's, he just he goes out and he, he wants to go out to have a good time yeah. uh, because he enjoys company, hmm. um, but he enjoys his own company too. You know, right. even without me, he likes his own time. So maybe extroverted. I was probably in relation to comparing to me. Yes, he feels extroverted. Yeah, yeah. But the introvert always sees everyone else as extroverted, so that's perfectly normal. Possibly, yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. But yeah, it's a funny question. It's, it's, it's. Um, I don't know whether it is me or if it's just kind of a general theme of talking to, to females. Or, I mean, does there have to be a specific kind of mental health therapy route for males on their own? No. Does that yeah. kind of you know prevent us for being inclusive too and you know it's it's spreading that awareness that it's for everybody Mm. um obviously it's not like a women's center it's depends on the service and it's good to have them things for men but i think we also need to normalize that they can come regardless you know it's okay yeah yeah. there's no judgment yeah i was just gonna say i've I've got an i've got an occupational health meeting coming up soon yeah, uh, and immediately I'm sitting there thinking, well, if it's a woman, she's not going to be empathetic to my problems. Okay. So I'm having these kind of conversations with myself three weeks before I've got the appointment. So I'm like, what? Mm. So there's an element to that where I just think, you know, perhaps there's that side of it where a man might look at that sort of thing and say, oh well, 
yeah, okay, I'm going to go and speak to this woman again. You know, we had a session last week. I've got to speak to her again mm. this week. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I suppose I'm just riffing on the idea of whether or not people seek out their own gender or the opposite gender. Because I know that mm. women, one thing women do is listen. Where mm. Well, actually, no. Women understand Whereas men will listen and then move on to the next point. I mean, one of my friends is a perfect example for that because you can tell him some big news and then he's just waiting to say his bit, which isn't necessarily related to what you've just said. Yes. And we, we laugh about it now. It's insane that his mind just moved on immediately. He's like, okay, well, that's not, I don't have to deal with that. That's not my problem. Mm. So has my problem been resolved? I've got this question. So then that, that's how he worked mm. and that's how his mind worked. I was just thinking, oh, I read into a lot of things when people talk. So I'm thinking, oh, I wonder oh, if this no, friend's stressed. I am stressed. being analysed. <laughs> no, 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 not you. But I just thought, I wonder if this friend's just preoccupied and then he just doesn't feel like he's been sat with something. But then I think, you know, actually it might just be that sort of person. So yeah. I, I suspected it was more to do with the fact that he was perhaps unable to process that information and didn't know how to handle right. it. Didn't have the okay, mental yeah. capacity or the, the, you know, the mental tools to cope with what he'd been told mm. because that felt like such a big thing that he was like oh no no I need some normality I need something I can grip yes. onto yeah. because otherwise the conversation would slip out of his grip so it feels a bit fraudulent from my side that I've even doing a podcast about these issues that I've got when the issues I've got are nowhere near as dangerous and as worrying as some of the issues of the people that you're speaking to you know as a, as a counsellor I understand what you're saying and you know it's a difficult one isn't it and mm. I guess it's wanting to understand things, isn't it? It's, it's good to have that awareness. And mm. I'm sure that sort of client group will be grateful, even though you might not have lived all the next, but you know, like obviously I work with somebody that might have schizophrenia and then um, somebody completely different. And, you know, I think validation needs to be a language shared by everybody. I think right. that's the, the important thing. And it's people are human and people have reasons for doing things mm. and you know it's that universal language isn't it so you know you might have not experienced things or you know been alike to some of these people but I guess it's it I haven't either no you know it's just about being kind as well and, and just allowing people to have that space and that's what you're doing just in a different remit I guess just yeah sharing education too and and I suppose that's all you can do, isn't it? Because I yeah. mean, that's the thing about experience. I, I, I say this a lot in my working life as well, that experience comes mm. across as cynicism, but it isn't. It's experience. You know, when, when people say, oh, we're going mm. to implement this new version of software and people are going, no, I don't think it's going to work. That's just because we've seen it all before and it's never going to happen. We know that. Mm. Um, and that's also a, a beneficial uh, sort of part of experience. And there's a point where you can you can help somebody learn and then there's a point mm. where you just have to wait for them to learn and yeah. I think it's taken my son going to university for him to actually realise just how hard it can be to look after yourself and it sounds silly oh yeah but you know yeah. until such time as you're actually out there doing it for yourself and you know you you've, you've got the bills to pay you've got to remember to do this and remember to do that because we've had those anxieties you know we've had a teenage mm. child in the house and a teenager, for whatever reason, ticks every single cliche box about teenagers without even trying. Um, and I remember saying to my wife, as my son was sort of approaching puberty, sort of saying, I'm really dreading these next few years because if he turns out like I did, it's going to be difficult. But he mm. didn't. He didn't turn out like that because 
he wasn't mirroring my behavior so because we were coming at him with an attitude of oh don't worry about it we can pick that up we can sort it yes yeah. and what was interesting was we saw with our son that there's some of the things that were triggering him and making him anxious and angry we're sitting there going why is he getting worried about that until we realized it's because he has nothing else to worry about that he will find something to worry about so mm. just to come bring that around cyclically to your conversation earlier you made about your daughter where you said mm. you know, if, you, if you ask her about this and you ask her about that you're going to be giving her worries don't mm. worry Sarah she'll find her own <laughs> well fingers crossed <laughs> I'm sure she will you have to work hard for those things as well don't you like you paying do. your way and, and, and su- it's survival isn't it mm. you don't you know you have that space to share your emotions with your parents but then you think oh actually mm. I need to prioritise this or because I need a roof it's you know it's how you survive isn't it, it? Is, and yeah. things definitely change don't they over time worry wise and... oh absolutely and it's just it, tomorrow can bring another worry yes and I remember saying to my friend when he was when he was moving from uh, from the UK he was leaving country he basically said oh yeah blah 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 you know we've, we've got all these problems here in the UK that you know we're, we're going we're gonna to be glad to see the back of and without even thinking, you know, because sometimes my brain just works overtime and it'll probably be something I've mm. heard elsewhere. I just spouted and I said to him, yeah, but you're just going to be swapping one set of problems for another. And that's then become a mantra between the two of us that whenever we talk about right. something, yeah, it's just like, well, you've just swapped one set of problems for the other because then depends on how you cope with those problems and how you manage that sort of situationally. Mm. So I think it was more, I think more... <laughs> One of the things I tend to do, and you know, if you and I were to talk any longer, which we're not going to, you would drill into <laughs> that quite quickly. But um, I can always see the opposite to whatever the situation is. When I'm in those positive meetings where people are talking about having a positive mental mindset, I'm sitting there and I can just, everything they say, I can give a negative to. But mm. then I find when I'm faced with someone who's overtly negative and everything they're saying is just negative, 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 I'm surprising people by being overtly positive. Some people have actually said to me, but you're normally so miserable. I'm not. I'm just miserable in the face of happiness. <laughs> it's almost like I need that yin and yang. So when, yeah. when people are overtly happy, I'm just kind of like, oh, but you. so my wife's a very, very optimistic woman. Mm. So you can imagine every time she's saying, oh, it'd be brilliant when we go here. I go, oh, it'd be rubbish. And that's me. I'm always just like, I'm always setting myself up to expect the worst. And then hopefully I'm mm. disappointing myself. But I just think it's interesting that my, my son doesn't do that. My son doesn't have that mentality, doesn't have that attitude. And I'm hopeful it's because of the fact that we've not necessarily been overtly positive or overtly negative about anything. So mm. I've not had to, you know, I've not f- had to fill that void. There's lots of different things going on, isn't there? And, and we could unpick it for hours, I'm sure, and go on to different, different themes, but maybe that could be for another time definitely because um, what I was going to ask yeah I was going to ask um, how do you decompress after a session though how do you who do you turn to oh um, Ooh, that feels like a deep one we can pick that up another time <laughs> if you like <laughs> I tend to go on I mean I don't drive but my partner drives and obviously we live near we live in Blackpool so right. we go on a prom drive so we go oh. from we live near South Shore and we go from south to north oh, okay. and then back round it's better in winter when the, the illuminations are on <laughs> yeah but yeah, just just it depends what sort of day I've had, I guess. Right. Um, sometimes I like to be completely quiet. 
we both work in mental health. Oh, and oh in, well, he'll in, understand in really better quite, than most. Yeah. Quite a stressful situation. So yeah. I think sometimes we can understand what's going on without things being said. So, so have you got like decent coping techniques then for like for for big sort of things where you think, my goodness, that was heavy. Have you got kind of like a mental door that you can close to yeah. sort of cross that threshold and close the door and say, well, let, let's just leave that there until tomorrow, sort of thing. So I know it sounds a little bit strange, but I have I like to use a lot of imagery. So I will put I've got. To the point where I put things in drawers for people that are in the room I've said you know just let me hold on to this and I'll put it in the drawer and then I might let it out when you've gone I used to leave the window open and for myself and then when people had left I'd open the window and I'd, I'd not share what they'd said but that was kind of my method of letting it go really? um, until next time I think it sometimes it depends what people say right it's got to but be yeah, quite a tough job, hasn't it? Because you've got people opening yeah, up to definitely. you about, especially when it comes down to trauma. Because that, unless, yes. I, I suppose, you know, the old, the old classic one is that, like you see it in films a lot, where they say, "Well, you wouldn't possibly understand because you've not experienced it." And you think, well, mm. if if you go to a counsellor who's experienced something that anyone could have experienced, that's yes. are you necessarily finding the right person? Because yeah, okay, I might not understand what you've gone through, but I can help you cope with the things yes. that are happening. Yes, and it's it's like for me, I won't touch perinatal. Uh, because of my experiences mm. because not because I don't care if anything I have a, a hell of a lot of empathy for you know yes, people going through be, their experiences it'll be a trigger for you won't it for you, it it'll is, take you back through your stories yeah 100% and um, I think you know it's recognising your limits mm. um, and things like that but I'm very honest and I'm very open and you know I have clinical supervision twice a month within work and outside of work it's all right. confidential but just the themes of things mm-hmm. so I'm just very aware of how I practice and then right. on other times I might have just had a tough week so taking regular breaks help and having interests as well I think that's really important and plans for the weekend so having things in place for yourself right but there's no danger of you sort of like getting to a point where you you know if you, if you find yourself um, starting 15 different hobbies just as a way of trying to mm. process it because <laughs> then it, then it's kind of like an avoidance technique isn't it yeah I mean I'm just doing like I'm doing I'm building miniatures at the minute I know it sounds my mum got me like this little greenhouse and you have to build it from scratch and it sits on your bookcase um, and if anything, it's caused me more stress. Oh, right. um, but but yeah, that'll be I, I good mean, stress, won't it? Because it'll be even yeah. you're getting angry at that. You're getting you're getting angry only at that and not at anything else. Yeah. So it's probably a good help, um, actually. It's probably it's probably an astute gift. Yeah, and and you know it comes with time as well and training, I think, mm-hmm. and 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 being honest with with your team and saying, look, I, I can only do this. Right. Um, whether I need to do it or not, I can't do it. I've got too much and I've got a more complex person that I need to spend more time with so you need to not give me as much that's good that you've got that support though isn't it I suppose definitely and you know I'm very reasonable and I'll do a lot more in other areas so Mm. but yeah you can get vicarious trauma and secondary trauma and and I just recognise that when it happens thankfully you see I've only Um, just learned about secondary trauma I didn't even know what it was and when I read the dictionary definition of it I was like oh my goodness that sounds awful yeah it's, it's, it's hard sometimes mm. and it does happen and then there's that transference thing as well where it yes. kind of locks into your own but you know I'm good at being open um, with other people and also recognising when I need my own time too and that's come well with the compassion training just using it on myself yeah it sounds like you're enjoying the job which is which is great I do. isn't it's it because yeah. yeah. there must be Passionate. days when it's tough 
Oh yeah, and, and it's like someone said to me, I've not seen anybody that's been so person-centred um, and patient-focused, and I'm like, I'm in it for that reason. Well, it's good that it's not been seen as a bad thing, because if they're suggesting no. we haven't seen anybody who's doing it that much, it'd be like, maybe they now recognise that that's a gap in the team, and they'll probably try and plug it with yeah. more people like you. You know, I'm not just saying that to, to be vain or anything like that, but... Ah, but vanity that. is allowed, Sarah, it's allowed. <laughs> it is, but I'm... I'm from a passion point of view, mm. I am very passionate about the patients I work with um, and in doing so, I have a good response alike to the other practitioners. You know, mm. everybody cares so much within the team, which is really nice and we care for each other as well. Oh, that's really good. That's that's quite heartwarming. It's nice. A lot hear. of dark humour, which is helpful. Well, you'll have gallows um, humour as well, won't you? Which is the other side. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get through the day. But yeah, I'd love to speak again. No, um, that'd be brilliant. That'd be, that'd be really excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time already. Yeah. Um, because we were hoping to just get you to come on to talk about what it's like to be a mental health professional, which you've done in mm. spades. And that's been really, really helpful. I want to thank you so much for it. No, no, that's fine. If, you, if you're happy to do another follow-up or whatever, another, come on another yeah. episode, that's great. Obviously, we'll, yeah. um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll hook up via email and we'll get that sorted out. But thank you so much yeah. for your time, Sarah. No, thank you. It's been good. I'll yeah. speak to you soon. Yes, thanks so much. All the best. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye bye.